2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Would you pray with me? And Father in heaven, we pray that you will take your holy word by your Holy Spirit and plant it deep in our hearts and bring about the life change that we need for our good and for the glory of our Christ, in whose name that we pray, amen. You may be seated. Last week we looked at the first half of Paul's fool speech, what theologians have referred to this section of Scripture as Paul's fool speech. Well, today we're in the second half of Paul's fool speech, and it comes after a summary of his incredible hardships and near-death experiences in carrying out his gospel ministry and the graphic example of escaping Damascus in a basket, what we saw last week, which was the epitome of weakness. Today the apostle gives a final example of weakness as the pinnacle of his argument, a thorn. Verses 1 to 8 where Paul says, I must go on boasting though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. By the grace of God, God had allowed Paul to see things that were unspeakable, unimaginable. Things in heaven 
which man could not even speak of on earth. And Paul speaks of it this way. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. He's speaking about himself. I know a man in Christ, and he'll reveal in just a few moments that it is Paul himself that he's speaking about. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. Only God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. And on behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Remember, we saw last week that Paul said, I only boast in my weaknesses. And remember, the reason was to show the power and the sufficiency of Christ. He says, though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. There's at least four questions that we need to ask about this thorn. First is, what is the thorn? And second, where did it come from? And thirdly, what is the purpose of this thorn? And fourthly, is there a way to get rid of it? Can he get rid of it? We see in the second part of verse 7, the answer to the first question, what is the thorn? It says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So we don't know what it is, and people have speculated all through the years, but we do know that it's a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. And some have said it could be chronic illness or disease or some physical malady, or it could be intense opposition. But whatever it is, it's irritating, it's debilitating, it's miserable, it's persistent, it just won't stop. So Paul pleads three times, Lord Jesus, please take it away. And you may be relating right now, you may be thinking about how many times you are praying every day, Lord Jesus, take this away. It just won't stop. So what is the thorn? We don't know exactly what it is and we'll leave it at that. Sickness, illness, disease, intense opposition, but whatever it is, is bad. 
The second question, where did it come from? Well, we see it also in the second part of verse 7. A thorn was given me in the flesh. It was given. It was gifted to him from above. In the divine wisdom of God, God determined that it was holy and wise and good to give Paul a thorn in the flesh. And he uses Satan as an agent in administering this thorn. Did you see that? A a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to beat me. The same word is used for striking the Lord Jesus when the soldiers were striking him. So where did it come from? It came from above. But the Lord employed a common agent, and that is the enemy, Satan. Third question is, what's the thorn's purpose? And we see this also in verse 7, the beginning part and the end part. It forms a bookend to make sure we get this. It's repeated two times. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. And he says at the end also, to keep me from becoming conceited, it's very clear. The revelations that Paul received were so incredible and magnificent that Paul was in danger of becoming conceited making it about himself. So Paul, so the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him, to keep him humble, to protect him from becoming conceited. So that's the thorn's purpose. But fourthly, is there any way to get rid of it. Well, Paul cried out to the Lord three times, Lord, please take it away. Please take it away. Please take it away. And we'll see that the Lord answered him, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to use it in your life for my holy purposes to guard you and protect you, to keep you from becoming conceited. Well, Paul tells us about the thorn so that he can tell about the power and sufficiency of the grace of Christ. See, he's telling us about his weaknesses. He told us how he was let down in a wall in a in a basket, fleeing from the king of Damascus. That was weak. And now he's telling us about some affliction that he can't get rid of. He has no power to get rid of it. And he's crying out to the Lord, and the Lord won't take it away either. And this is a weakness 
that he wants to highlight so that we see the power and sufficiency of the grace of Christ. See, that's his trajectory. That's where he's taking us. That's where he, he wants his readers to go and to get a hold of this. He wants them and us to know and to experience and to continually walk in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a message that every single one of us needs to hear. Because we're going to see in the text that this, the weaknesses that Paul is talking about can be easily applied in every single one of our lives. And this should be an incredibly encouraging message. Verse 9 really brings us the main point of the sermon. Verse 9 But he said to me, whenever Paul uses the word Lord, he's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. He pleaded with the Lord. He pleaded with Jesus about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we could translate it Another way, because of the emphasis in the original language, it it goes on the adequacy, the sufficiency. It says, completely adequate is my grace for you, for power is brought to, to the desired end in weakness. That's what he's getting at. So here's the main point of the sermon. The grace of Christ is completely adequate and perfectly capable of accomplishing God's intended results through our experiences of weaknesses. Let me say it again. The grace of Christ is completely adequate, speaking of sufficiency, and perfectly capable, speaking of power to bring about the desired end, capable of accomplishing God's intended results through our experiences of weakness. So we're going to see three things in our text that the grace of Christ does. Remember, grace does things. It enables us to endure. It enables us to flourish. And it enables us to display grace for enduring, grace for flourishing, and grace for displaying the greatness of Christ. That's what we're going to see. But before we move any further, we need to get a handle on what Paul means when he uses the word weak, weakness, or weaknesses. You see, he's not talking about moral weaknesses or character weaknesses. He's not referring to struggles with sin. He's not talking about sin. Although there is grace for dealing with sin, for fighting sin, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about things that are happening to you. Not things that you are doing or that you're struggling with, but things that are happening to you, circumstances, situations, maybe that you didn't bring on yourself. 
But he tells us exactly what he means in verse 10. So look at verse 10. Let's dig in there. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He tells us exactly what he means. When he says, I'm content with weaknesses, he uses the word weaknesses as a general overarching category of what he's talking about. And we know that this is it because he summarizes at the end, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. So we see that what's in between are subcategories of weaknesses. Insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities are the subcategories of this overarching, this general category of weaknesses. So that's what he's talking about. Insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. That's the kind of weakness that he's talking about. What does he mean by insults? When, when people belittle you for your faith, when they try to make your beliefs look ignorant or foolish, and maybe some of our SCAD students have experienced that in the classroom. Teacher finds out you're a Christian and then begins to mock you for your ignorant beliefs in front of everybody. That's the kind of weakness when you're made to look like a fool You're made to look weak in front of everybody. Insults. Maybe you've been insulted for your faith as well. Maybe you've been insulted for believing that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That there is no other way for anyone to be saved in all of the earth. Only by trusting in Jesus Christ alone is death and resurrection for the forgiveness that we need, for the eternal life that we need. And maybe you've been insulted for believing or holding to the exclusivity of the gospel. And then he says hardships, insults, hardships. And what he means by hardships are circumstances in your life that are hard hardships. They're difficult to bear. You didn't choose them and they came upon you. You didn't plan for it. Maybe they came out of the blue in your life. And maybe you're going through a hardship right now. And maybe you just lost your job. You were looked over for a raise because of your faith. Maybe because you wouldn't go along with the crowd. Maybe you lost your job and you're experiencing hardships in your life right now that you were not planning for. But we're going to see how relevant what Jesus says is in your life today when you're going through hardships. And then he says persecutions. And he means that when you're treated unfairly or with prejudice because of your faith in Christ, now, probably most of us will not die for our faith. 
We will not be killed for our faith, most of us. But you may be able, you may be insulted, mocked, you may be unfairly treated, you may be prejudiced because of your faith. And you may be in a very difficult circumstance in your life because you're being persecuted for your faith. And the last subcategory is calamities. And what he means here is troubles, distresses, difficulties. Situations in your life where you're being crushed, where you're experiencing intense pressure. Again, you didn't choose this, you didn't ask for it, and you didn't do anything to bring it on yourself. It came out of the blue. That's what he's talking about. Those are the circumstances that he's talking about. John Piper says this, they are circumstances and situations and experiences and wounds that make us look weak. Things we would probably get rid of if we had the human strength. Things that are hard to bear and that we can't remove either because they are beyond our control or because love dictates that we not return evil for evil. That's what Paul's talking about here. In fact, I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you're wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You're held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the, the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. How did they do that? By the grace of Christ. That's what he's talking about here. So that's what he means by weaknesses. But next we need to understand what Jesus means when he uses the word grace. So many times we think of grace as unmerited favor. And it is. But the range of meaning in the New Testament, the way Paul uses it over and over again, and when he's writing to Timothy, he says, may you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, he says, may all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So, that's the way it's used here in this passage. Grace is God's divine enabling power for us to accomplish everything that God intends for us to accomplish. And that's what Jesus says here when he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. We see the parallelism there. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is God's divine enabling power. So grace does things. That's what we're going to see. And finally, we need to know what it is that God intends to be accomplished by the grace of Christ in the context of our weaknesses. That's where we're going. That's where we're headed. Here are the three things that grace does. Number one, the grace of Christ enables us to endure in our weaknesses, endure. 
The grace of Christ enables us to endure in our weaknesses. Look at verses 8 and 9a. Again, Jesus, or three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And what Jesus is saying here is, I hear you, Paul. I see you. I know your pain. I know your suffering. But I'm not going to take away the thorn. It has a holy purpose. I want you to endure by my strength in order to testify of my greatness. You see, my grace is for you to endure. I'm not taking it away. And so many times we're angry with God for not taking it away or we're frustrated or we get irritated, impatient because we just want it to go away. But the grace of Jesus is for us to endure hard things for the sake of His name. Grace enables us to endure, to remain steadfast under trial, to be patient in affliction, to bear up under persecution, to endure hardships, calamities, and insults that we saw at the end of this text. Grace enables us to turn the other cheek. Grace enables us to not retaliate and lash out, but to continue entrusting ourselves to the God who judges justly. That's what grace does. It's the power that enables us to endure. And it's only by the powerful and sufficient grace of Christ that we can endure in these situations. In fact, John Piper says, the grace of Jesus makes affliction livable. And maybe some of you know that by experience. I think of some of you who have dealt with chronic and horrific pain for a long, long, long time and you have pleaded with the Lord Jesus to take it away and it just won't go away. Well, let me assure you today and encourage you with the, by the authority of Christ that His grace is sufficient for you to endure in this struggle. To bear up under the affliction. To keep going when you don't feel like you can keep going makes affliction livable. But grace is not just for enduring which leads us to number two. The grace of Christ enables us to flourish in our weaknesses. Verses 9 and 10. It's not just for enduring, but it's for flourishing in the situations, in difficult situations. Look at verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that there's a purpose, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. 
And Paul says in response to what Jesus told him, therefore, I will. I will boast all the more gladly. I will rejoice in him all the more gladly. See, it's intentional, it's joyful, it's purposeful boasting in his weakness. We also see satisfaction and contentment in his weakness. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses. Paul describes great joy and great contentment in the most difficult situations. He's not floundering in his afflictions, he's flourishing. Let me ask you this, are you floundering in your afflictions right now or are you flourishing? Because if you're flourishing, it's only by the grace of Christ. And if you're floundering, let me tell you, the grace of Christ is available for you and it's powerful for you to endure and to flourish in your afflictions, in your difficult circumstances in your hardships, in every circumstance in your life. The grace is not only for enduring and flourishing, but ultimately it's for displaying. Let's look at number three. The grace of Christ enables us to display the greatness of Christ in our weaknesses. That's where he's been going the whole time. The grace of Christ enables us to display the greatness of Christ in our weaknesses. Look at verse 10. Paul says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. For the sake of Christ then. For the sake of His name, for the sake of His fame, for the sake of the glory of His name. His power, His sufficiency. What Paul is saying is, it's enough. His grace is completely adequate. And it's powerful in our lives. So we look to Christ in our weaknesses and He has all we need to endure and to flourish and to display His great power and might in our lives. It's about Him, not us. The focus is on Him, not us. What we want people to see is not that we are suffering, but that we are enduring and flourishing in the suffering. That's when they say, how? When we turn the other cheek, people say, how? Why didn't you lash back? Why didn't you strike back? You say, well, I'm obeying Jesus. How are you obeying Jesus in that situation? By His powerful and sufficient grace. That's how. By grace. See, Paul could have boasted about the incredible visions and revelations. I mean, we would all be tempted to boast about those. And Paul would have been too. That's why the Lord gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming conceited. But he didn't boast about the revelations and visions. 
He boasted in the things that showed his weaknesses. He boasted in a thorn. God afflicted him with a thorn even through the agency of Satan. Reminds you of Job. To keep him from becoming conceited and to teach him about the power and sufficiency of the grace of Christ. And it could be right now that what you're going through is the training ground for you to know and to experience the power and sufficiency of the grace of Christ. Because coming out on the other side, you're going to know Him more. You're going to love Him more. You're going to serve Him more faithfully. You just need to endure by His grace. You don't just have to endure and that's it, but you can actually flourish in your difficulties, in your hardships, through the insults, in the calamities in your life. You can flourish by the grace of Christ. And that's when you put on display His power and His glory and His greatness. The grace of Christ was completely adequate and perfectly capable of accomplishing all that God intended in Paul's weaknesses. And it's no different for you and me. So let me ask you this as we close. Are you going through difficulties in your life right now that you find yourself grumbling and complaining about? You say, Jesus... I hear in your word you say that your grace is sufficient, that your power is made perfect in weakness. It, it will bring me to the desired end in sanctification. I need you to give me grace for endurance, grace for flourishing right now. I can't do it alone. I need you. And maybe today the Lord is calling you to trust him more deeply in the circumstances that you're going through. And maybe if you've been grumbling and complaining, the Lord is calling you to repent. To ask for His forgiveness. And to ask for His grace to trust Him and to walk closely with Him and faithfully. Maybe you've shaken your fist at God in the midst of your circumstances. Maybe other people have questioned God watching you go through your circumstances. Job's wife said, curse God and die. And hopefully you don't have anybody in your life saying that. But maybe today, understanding God's grace afresh, maybe this week is going to be different. Maybe you're going to experience His nearness and His closeness and His power this week in a way that was not your experience this past week. So ask Him for it. Turn from yourself and turn to Him today. And maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And I would just encourage you, Jesus is sufficient to meet every need of yours. And the greatest need that you have, if you're outside of Christ, if you're lost today, if you don't know Him personally, your greatest need in the world is forgiveness 
an acceptance that only comes by putting your trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, guaranteed. And maybe you need salvation today. Call out to the Lord. Call out to Him. Tell Him what you know. And maybe today's the first day that you know that you are a sinner and that you need salvation. And the only way that salvation comes is through Jesus Christ, through what He accomplished on the cross, His death and resurrection and His ascension. Trust in Jesus today. Turn from your sins and trust Him. And if that's you today, we would love to talk to you after the service. We would love to encourage you and help you and get you connected in a way that you can walk with Him, that other believers can help you walk with Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this powerful text where we learn of the sufficiency and the power of the grace of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us apply this to our lives, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word, that we would leave here applying this word to our lives. So please help us. We need you, Lord Jesus. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for you are worthy. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. Amen.